Hey, this is Jason Robinson, the senior pastor at Church of the King, and I am so pumped up that you are hanging out with us today on our podcast. I pray that God really speaks to you today and that you are inspired and encouraged to take on this life for Jesus. I want to encourage you to go on over to our website at cotk.org so you can keep up to date with everything going on. But you can only learn so much through a website and a podcast. Man, we'd love to meet you. Man, come check us out on one of our weekend services. Uh, You can see all of that online as well. So God bless you, and I hope this word ministers to you today. Well, once again, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Church of the King. It is an honor and a privilege to be here with you this morning. Uh, I say this often, but uh, if I've never said it with you in the room, uh, my name is Josh Barker. Me and my wife, Ashley, we serve on the Dream Team here at the church. And so this morning, uh, Pastor Jason is out of town, if that's not... If that's not obvious, I'm not him. Uh, sorry to disappoint, uh, right? Nobody wants to be the backup guy, but that's, that's the shoes that I stand in today. And so I'm excited about this morning. I'm excited that all that God has for us. And, and I just have to tell you, as we get in this morning and as we begin to dig into God's word, is four years ago, four years ago, we had the honor, we had the privilege of moving to help see Church of the King get launched. And so we packed up everything in a U-Haul with a group of people, uh, moved to Katy, Texas. God bless Texas. And so, and, and so I'll tell you, when, that, when all that's happening, let me tell you what the conversations look like, is we just believe that God's going to do something, that there's lives that God wants to touch, there's things that he wants to do, there's marriages that he wants to restore, there's children that he wants to speak to. And to be able to be here this morning and to be able to share with you is quite literally such a blessing because you are, you are the fulfillment of what God said. And so we're so excited, so excited to jump in. As we get going this morning, I just think that any time that as a church we have to pray for our pastor, that, that we want to, I want to take advantage of that. And so he's out of town this week. And so I thought we'd start off, let's just pray and let's just, let's just lift up Pastor Jason this morning. Father, we thank you today, Lord, for our pastor. Lord, he's a gift to this community. He's a gift to this house. And Father, he's a gift. Him and his family are a gift to so many of us. And Lord, as we gather in this place, Lord, your word says you refresh those who refresh others. And so, God, I just ask that you would refresh him. I pray that you would strengthen him. Continue continue to fill him with vision. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And so as we get going this morning, anytime that I, I, I get the opportunity to speak, my conversation with Pastor Jason typically looks something like this, where I, I, he asks me, I say something along the lines of, Pastor Jason, is there anything that you would like for me to, to talk about? And we've known each other for 18 years. He's been my pastor for 18 years, and we've built some trust over time. And usually that conversation goes a little something like, uh, you know, Josh, hey, I trust you. Whatever God laid on your heart, go with that. So the good part this morning is I'm not paid by Church of the King, so I can't be fired. Come on. <laughs> As we jump in today, as we jump in today, I, I want to share with some. I want to share something with you that's near, that's near and dear to my heart. I'll tell you a little bit about the Barker family. Uh, we have three kiddos, and so I'll tell you. I, I kept hearing one to two, two to three. Um, it, it's a little bit of a, a chaos around our house now. Everybody with four or five, you guys are like chump. You don't know a thing, and so. But it, it's interesting. So we have a ten-year-old, a seven-year-old 
and a one-year-old, and we're going through this neat transition right now where, particularly with our oldest, we're moving from policeman, right, to coach. And, you know, with our one-year-old, we are absolutely policemen. Uh, With our middle, it's more like you're managing chaos all the time. But with our oldest, we're, we're getting to be coach. And so what's, what's neat about, about the coaching stage is the questions turn from what to why. Dad, I hear what you're telling me to do. Why, why are you telling me to do it? And so we're going through this, this neat stage with him right now. And I'll tell you, um, with that is it gives us the opportunity to begin to start to build an identity to build a culture, to begin to build a framework within our family. I, I got the, just a little bit of my background is I was in full-time ministry for just under 11 years, and the majority of that was spent speaking to teenagers, speaking on high school campuses, on college campuses. And, and I'll tell you, there's one thing that I've, that I've picked up, one thing that I've gathered when it comes to students, when it comes to kids, when it comes to family from that time. And it's simply this, is that when a family has a strong identity, peer pressure is weak. But when a family has a weak identity, peer pressure is strong. And so as a family, we get the opportunity to begin to build culture, to begin to build some things. And that's a lot of what this conversation looks like with our son right now. And so the other day, we were having this conversation about being Christ-centered. Now, what do I mean when I say Christ-centered? It's when our, in our world, Christ is at the center of every decision, of everything that we do, of our conversations, of how we approach school, how we approach sports, how we approach friends, that it's christ Centered. Uh, I'm from North Carolina, if you can't tell by the accent. Uh, and I, I remember after high school, I did this internship in Louisiana. And how many, is that, how many of you guys have ever been to Louisiana? I remember getting off the plane for the first time and thinking, oh my God, it will only be a year, right? And so <laughs> then I meet a Louisiana girl, and now I, I have three Cajun babies. And, but Louisiana holds a special place in my heart. But I'll tell you, one of the things about Louisiana that I love so much was gumbo. I mean, it's real spiritual gumbo. And so if, if you're from Louisiana, and I've heard this quite a bit around Houston too, is when you start talking about gumbo, everybody thinks that their gumbo recipe is the best, right? When you have, you're like, oh, this is really good. And they're, the, they're always, the, there's this conversation where they say, oh, you haven't had mine yet, right? That's, that's typical Louisiana. And sometimes we treat God, we treat our relationship with the Lord a lot like we treat gumbo. See, with gumbo, what is gumbo? You take a whole bunch of, you make a roux and you just throw whatever you've got into a pot, let it cook, and then you eat it over rice. I mean, that's gumbo. And that's a lot of times how we, how we engage and how we begin to look at our relationship with God, where it's a piece, it's a part of the gumbo. Hey, I'm going to throw in um, some work. I'm going to throw in some family. I'm going to throw in some parenting. I like to play golf. I'm going to throw that in there a little bit. Oh, I'm throwing a little Jesus, a little church, and I'm going to mix this thing together. And that's going to be my gumbo. The conversation that I'm having with my 10 year old is this. Jesus is not an ingredient in the gumbo. He's the bowl that holds the whole thing. That no matter what we do, no matter what we, where we go, no matter where you're going to show up at work tomorrow morning, that everywhere we go, that Christ is at the center of everything. And so today, 
as we jump into that, I want to share with you a couple of things. And the title of my message is, What to Expect from a Christ-Centered Life. What to Expect from a Christ-Centered Life. If you have your Bible, you can open up to Matthew chapter 5. And in Matthew chapter 5, there is a very famous portion of Scripture. It's where Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount. And there's this one particular part where he begins to list Beatitudes, right? And, and it's so neat when you begin to open up God's word, you see some, this reoccurring theme that whenever God, whenever God gives a command, whenever God says something, whenever God tells us, hey, if you do this, he always attaches a blessing to it. There's always something on the other side, right? If you give, it will be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. I mean, that's the time. Hey, he who gives mercy will himself receive mercy. This is, a, this is something in scripture, and we see this in Matthew chapter 5. And so I want to read, read this to you. I want to read this to you quickly, and then we'll shift gears a bit. And so in Matthew chapter 5, there's eight beatitudes. It starts in verse 3, and it says this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those that mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I used to, when I used to read the word meek, meek is not synonymous with weak. Meek means power under control. Don't ever confuse meekness with weakness. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Number nine, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And number 10, and this is where we're going to spend a good bit of our time this morning, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When we read this scripture, it's so, it's so interesting that God would list out eight different ways, right? Eight different ways to, to live a Christ-centered life. That God calls us to be meek. He calls us to be merciful. He calls us to be peacemakers, right? And he gives this entire list. And then we get to verse 10. And I, I hate to tell you, this isn't exactly refrigerator material, right? This isn't one I wake up and I go, yes, I get to be persecuted for doing what's right. Isn't God good? That's, that's not how it works. And so when we look at this, though, is that when we do what's right, what can we expect? I got the opportunity about seven or eight years ago um, to, to lead my dad to the Lord. And I'll tell you a little bit of background on my family. I, we didn't grow up in church. I have a really a great family, but um, how many of you guys, when your family may have been like the, the Partridge family or Leave it to Beaver, some of you guys, you describe your family and it's a little bit more like a WWF cage match, right? I, I thought it was normal for people to throw plates and yell all the time. And so come to find out that's not the case. And with my dad, um, my parents, they had some legitimate struggles, right? Some addiction issues, some things like that. I've shared a little bit about that before. Um, but growing up as a kid, I remember, um, I, I remember not having a very good example. And I remember eating Thanksgiving in the cafeteria of a prison with my dad. It, just not the ideal situation. And so we didn't have a whole lot of relationship, but it was kind of neat at how God can redeem and God can restore things. After I graduated high school, it was like this relationship started to flourish. Now my kids love him. Um, they, they're FaceTime him. But about seven or eight years ago, I get this call one night 
And my dad um, is going through some tough times and essentially says, Josh, um, I've been watching you. I know you. I think that I want to receive, I want, I need to do something. I want to be a Christian. That was the best way that he knew how to communicate it. And so we had this conversation and I got the chance to pray with him on the phone. And the next day I said, dad, I'm going to send you a Bible. I'm going to send you a devotional. I'm going to, whatever it takes, just follow one, two, three, all the way through 12. And so he goes, okay, okay, okay. So I sent him this Bible. Well, a year later he shows up um, he comes down for a visit, and on his, on his way, he says, hey, Josh, listen, I've got a lot to talk through. And I said, okay, Dad, so what does that mean? He goes, so I've read the Bible. Um, I said, you've read the Bible. Like, okay. He goes, yeah, like the whole thing. And I said, okay. He goes, and I, I've got some questions. This baptism, sent, this baptism thing makes no sense to me. Okay, so I need you to explain this. And so my dad comes down and we have like six days and he's asking questions day after day. And he hands me this devotional and it's written in the margins. Everything's filled out. Um, he's going, is this even right? What do you think? And, and we're talking about the Bible, but he said something. He said something that was so interesting to me. He said, you know, Josh, the one thing I'm surprised about is I would think that following after God and trying to do the right thing, it would make things easier. He said, but in reality, it, some things have gotten easier, but a lot of things have actually gotten more difficult. And he says, you know, I, I thought that people would just be excited for me and making the decision to follow Christ, but in all seriousness, I showed up to work and I decided that I was going to bring my Bible to work. And this guy says, man, you, Ron, you're bringing your Bible to work? What are you doing? And he said, I remember one day I was sitting down to eat lunch and I, I go to pray and someone goes, oh, he brings his Bible to work and now he prays for his lunch, right? He, he said, listen, I thought giving to the church would be a good idea. Someone heard that I was going to give money to the church and it was Ron, what is wrong with you? You bring your Bible, you pray over your food, and now you're giving money to the church. Are you becoming one of those holy rollers? And so he starts telling this story, and I start just get the chance to encourage him. And what happens is that when you do the right thing, when you begin to follow God and you begin to live a Christ-centered life, there's a couple things that you can expect. One of them, according to the Bible, this isn't my words, but according to the Bible, it's persecution. It's pushback. You don't have to be a pastor to be persecuted. You just have to do what's right. I mean, let's look at those beatitudes. There's a good chance that if you do some of those things, you could be mocked, you could be ridiculed, you could be persecuted. See, when you're merciful in a world that says, hey, you get what you deserve, that can be an unpopular stance, right? Let's think about it, let's think about it in business. When you're merciful to someone in business, it's like, wait a second, but they owe you. Hold on a second. I, I want to live a Christ-centered life. I feel like God's telling me to do this. Hey, there may be some pushback. When we begin to be a peacemaker, right? The world doesn't even have a, a, really a label for that. I, I'm a peacemaker, right? The Bible says, hey, he who strikes you, turn the other cheek. Turn the other cheek. Where I come from, if, you, if somebody hits you, you better hit them back, right? What does persecution look like? See, hey, you're just going to turn the other cheek? I mean, you're a doormat. What is wrong with you? That's stupid. Josh, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. No, it's actually in the Bible. See, when you do the right thing, one of the things that you can expect is persecution. I have a pastor friend who, um, who had moved into a new neighborhood 
And so he's married, he's got, he's got a few kids, and, and he gets this thing in the mail where they're going to have this HOA pool party thing, right? So he goes out, he decided, man, this would be a great, great chance to meet the neighbors, uh, comes into the neighborhood, and, and so they're hanging out, his kids are at the pool, his wife's talking to people, and, and he meets this guy in the neighborhood, and, and they strike up this conversation, and so he's talking to him, and hey, you play golf, and I play golf, and um, that's pretty cool. Oh, we just, you know, how long have you been in the neighborhood, that type of thing, and so they get to be, over the, the course of a few minutes, they get to be pretty good buddies, Right? This conversation's going well. And so the guy looks at my friend and says, man, I have to, I got to apologize a little bit. He said, man, apologize for what? He said, usually these parties are a whole lot better. He said, man, they usually got a keg in here. We hang out. We party a little bit. It gets a little crazy, but it's tons of fun. He said, but word on the street is there's a pastor that moved into the neighborhood And so no keg. And so a couple minutes later, the conversation comes up of, what do you do for a living? And he he goes, I ruin keg parties. That's what I do. (laughs) See, here's the thing. It doesn't take much. It doesn't take much to get pushed back. Oftentimes, you just have to do what's right. My family, we're, we're a passionate bunch, which I have to tell you, holding a handheld mic limits my hand movements. And so um, I'm feeling a little constricted right now. However, I'm married into an Italian family. Do we have any Italians in here? And not many Italians. That's okay. Well, let me describe Italian families. Everything Italians do is at a 10, right? If they love you, they love at a 10. When they're mad at you, they're mad at you at a 10, when they talk, it's at a 10. And so everything we do is passionate. And so I'm passionate. My wife's passionate. It's only, we, should, we had it coming that both of our kids would be passionate too. My, my family will come to our house and go, gosh, why does everybody yell all the time? It's like, I, I'm, we're yelling. And, and so we're passionate. But one of the things I've learned about passionate people is oftentimes when you're passionate, passionate people put pressure on people that are apathetic. It's true. When you're apathetic about things and you get around someone that's passionate, all of a sudden you start feeling like this, whoa, man, settle down just a little bit. Hey, you think you're taking this just a touch too serious? And we, I mean, and we're passionate, right? Nobody is more passionate uh, than my younger brother, okay? Like if you ever know, you know those people, they overstate everything, Right? If it's good, it's unbelievable. And if you, if they, hey, you've got to go try this. You mean, you're an idiot. You haven't lived until you try this. That is, that is my younger, my younger brother. And so we grew up, we grew up Carolina fans. Okay. Um, and so therefore, we are not Duke fans. Don't want to isolate anybody in here this morning. Uh, but I, I mean, I was raised that my grandpa told me we cast the Blue Devils out of people. So you are a Carolina fan. And so. Um, there was this, this one point one day where my brother's making this comment, and again, overstating everything. He made the comment, he said, Josh, if Duke was playing China for the freedom of our nation, he said, I'm buying a samurai sword and learning to speak Mandarin. I was like, <laughs> I apologize if that offends anybody. Talk to him. He's not politically correct. And so... Here's the point, though. Passionate people make apathetic people uncomfortable. The first time in Scripture we see someone persecuted, it's really kind of a neat story. The persecution doesn't happen because it's some, something 
somebody did something bad. It was because somebody actually did something good. In Genesis chapter 4, there's a story of Cain and Abel. And Scripture tells us these two, these two men came to bring sacrifices to the Lord. One of them was a farmer. One of them was a herdsman. Scripture says that when Abel came to the Lord, he brought the Lord the first fruit. He brought him his best. And it says that when God looked at Abel's sacrifice, that God was pleased with Abel's sacrifice. And then it says that Cain, Cain brought some offering as well, but it wasn't, it wasn't the best of what he had. And Scripture says that God despised his offering. Now, what's interesting is, is what happens in this story. There's never a point that's recorded where Abel begins to, begins to preach at Cain. There's never a point in time where he's saying, Cain, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Hey, what were you thinking, right? I mean, you know how this thing works. It's God, bring your best. I mean, come on, bro. We came from the same household. You know what I know. Abel never said anything like that. He simply did what was right. And so in the story goes that Cain in his heart began to despise, despise Abel and kills his brother. Not because he did anything wrong, simply because he did what was right. Sometimes when you go through things, we automatically think that difficult times and being wrong are synonymous. That if something is challenging in my life, if something is hard, then it's synonymous with I must not be right. But when we look in God's word, that's not the case. That you can go through challenging things, you can grow, go through difficulties, and it not be because you're wrong, it may be because you're right. See, there is a promise, though, as we, as we talk about this. You can, go through, you can do what is right and go through difficult situations because of it, but there is a promise. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, Jesus begins to say this. After he lists the Beatitudes, he says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus looks at us and says, hey, guess what? If this happens, I've got good news. There's a reward in heaven. Two things, two things you can expect. Here's the key thought this morning. Two things that you can expect from living a Christ-centered life. The first thing is pushback and persecution. But the good news, the second thing is a reward in heaven. See, as we get into it this morning, is I, I want to talk, talk to you a little bit more about this. And this applies no matter what the arena is that you live in. Living a Christ-centered life, leading a Christ-centered family, oftentimes you make decisions for you make decisions for Christ that may be contrary to popular opinion. Right? Hey, we're going to do things this way. I remember when Brock was four, he was playing soccer, and we had this, I mean, I was a youth pastor. We went to church on Wednesday nights. That's what we did. And there was this point of like, gosh, and again, this was something for our house. I'm not trying to put that on you, but I, I'll never forget, we were, we were going through the soccer thing. They had practice on Wednesday nights, and as a family, we're talking, we're going, gosh, do we want him to go to practice on Wednesday night, or do we want him to go to church? And so we're talking, what is right for us? How, what is our Christ-centered decision in our family. And I remember we came to the conclusion of, gosh, he's going to be at every single practice, but he won't be there on Wednesdays. And he's a pretty good little soccer player. And so I remember the, the coach is going, wait, you're not, you're not going to be there? Like, wait, he's not coming to practice on Wednesday uh, on Wednesday because he's going 
He's going to be at church. Hey, don't y'all have church on Sundays too, right? This is the questions that we're getting. And I'll never forget one, one of the parents goes, gosh, hey, he, he's pretty good. Um, don't you think if you let him play that it could benefit his future? And I remember stepping back going, well, hold the phone just a second. Maybe, just maybe, that going to church on a Wednesday night might be a better benefit to his future. Deciding to live a Christ-centered life, to lead a Christ-centered family, to make decisions that may be contrary to popular opinion is not something that's oftentimes popular. You may not get a a clap, it may happen in this building, but it may not happen outside these walls. But the, the good news is this, is that when we make those kinds of decisions, the promise is, is that God has a reward in heaven. And so three things this morning. How do you prepare for persecution? How do you prepare for persecution? Number one, number one is this, expect it. Expect it. Second Timothy 3.12, Paul writes Timothy, he says this, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's not something that you're gonna wake up and read off of your refrigerator every morning, right? I mean, I like things like, hey, God has made me more than a conqueror. You can do all things through Christ. How about, hey, if you wanna live a godly life, you're gonna be persecuted. Ha, let's throw a party about that one. But that's what, that is what Paul says. When I became a Christian, I was, I was 16 years old, and uh, I told you a little bit about my background, but I became a believer. I started to follow Christ. How many of you guys know when, when, you, when God saves you, when you're born again, is that some things happen quickly, some things happen slowly. And I remember when I was 16 years old, I, I, had, I, would, I would spend some time with the Lord, and this, I had been a Christian for about three months, and I was praying one morning and I felt very strongly that the Lord started to speak to me and say, Josh, I don't want you to date anyone right now. I want you to give me, I want me to give, I want all of you. And so um, a little bit about me, I did, I never grew up thinking girls had cooties. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Remember the whole circle, circle, dot, dot, now you got your cootie shot. When they were passing out cootie shots, I just, I said, I'll pass. I don't even know what this cootie is that you speak of, right? My favorite game in school was Kiss and Chase. How many of y'all remember Kiss and Chase? (laughs) Kiss and Chase was the game if you were fast, but it was also the game if you were slow. (laughs) Come on, (laughs) come on, you be it. I'd accidentally fall. I mean, so it was one of those things is when God begins to speak to my heart and he says something, it's like, hey, I want, I want you to give me all of you right now. And I remember saying, okay, God, gospel truth, gospel truth. That very day, that very day I go to school and a buddy of mine comes up to me and goes, hey, there's this girl. I'm not going to say her name because people look people up on Facebook. And so there's this girl that likes you. This, I've been liking this girl since the fifth grade, right? I'm, I'm a junior in high school now. I'm loving Jesus. And, and, I, he, said, and he tells me this, and I, I confirm this through a couple different sources. And, and I'll never forget, I go to church that, that night. This was a Wednesday night. And I talked to my youth pastor. Man, hey, here's the deal. This is what God said to me this morning. This is what happened today. I'm feeling very torn. And he says, man of God, you need to pull a Joseph and just run away. And I remember thinking, Okay, God, why couldn't I found this out last week or yesterday? Tuesday would have been fine, right? I've been available for 16 years. And see, here's the point. 
the, the conversation, the conversation on Thursday at the lunch table with all the guys went a little something like this. I, I played football, played sports, and a lot of my friends were not Christ followers. And so we're sitting at the lunch table, and I'll never forget my friend John asked me the question. He said, so, are you going to go out with her? Her name was Dana. I won't give you her last name. Will, are you going to go out with Dana? And I said, no, no, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not going to. And so he looks at me and he asks this question, why not? Now, I have to be real with you guys. In that moment, um, there was a lot of different things that started with me. It's like, how do I begin to explain to him and this group of people that God spoke to me, wanted me to give him all of me and, and not date anybody, right? Like, how is this conversation going to go over? So I ran through about three different lies in my head. I, I couldn't quite make them work. And so I was kind of stuck with just telling him the truth. And so I'll never forget. I said, man, well, this is so here's the deal. I, re I really feel like God spoke to my heart and, and he wants me um, not to date anyone. And, and he, wants, he wants me to give him um, all, all of me. And so this group, about four or five guys, look at me like I had three eyeballs, right? Then the chair started to slowly move away from the, away from the table, and I get asked the question, well, if you don't like Dana, who, who do you like? You know, I was like, whoa, it's not like that. See, here's the thing. When we make right decisions, when we make right decisions, we should expect to be persecuted. See, know, some of y'all know what I'm talking about, and you, you think about what that felt like. You remember when you were in high school, Right? Everything in high school was about being cool, right? You wanted to make sure that you presented yourself cool, that you spoke cool, that you dressed cool, right? Some of you guys need to remember back. Some of you guys might need to remember way back, but you know what I'm talking about. Now, now today, you, you don't even care, right? You got ready to come to church this morning. Your wife goes, hey, are you really going to wear that shirt? And we respond, what? It's comfortable. You know, I mean, it has nothing to do with being cool anymore. And so, but when you do what's right, when you do, when you choose to live a Christ-centered life and honor God, that you can expect, you can expect persecution. When all that started happening and I started to follow after Christ, is a, kind of a crazy thing happened. Was normal life for me was I'm going to hang out with my friends on Friday night. If we have a football game, we're going to do something after. Um, typically, it was not something that we should have been doing. And so when I, became a, when I became a Christ follower and God started to do something in my life and started to challenge me on making decisions that would honor him, I remember getting the question, hey, do you want to go do this with us? Hey, we're going here tonight. And being dealt with and really having to face something in my own heart of do I want to do that or do I, do I not because I feel like that's not going to honor God. And what happened was is slowly but surely over the course, it didn't take long, only a few weeks that I started to spend a lot of Friday nights at my house by myself. Now, if you're 16 years old and, and you're social, I mean, I'm an I personality off the chart. I mean, you like people at home by yourself on a Friday night is not a good place to be. And so I remember I would sit there and I, I remember thinking, this, I'm the most, I'm the uncoolest person on the planet, right? And a couple of times they didn't even call. I would just find it, at least at the beginning, at least I got the invite. After a while, I didn't even get the invite. And I remember about three months into this, I, 
a prayer praying to God of God, I will serve you. I will follow after you. I'll give it everything I got, but I could use a little bit of help. If you can just bring a couple, like I just need someone to do life with. Like I've got, I cannot be here on Friday nights. And it was a couple weeks later, one of my friends came to church with me. He gave his heart to Jesus and it was the two of us, which was I mean, two of us, I mean, we were like the dynamic duo, right? It was big school, 3,000 people. We're gonna live holy and righteous. I mean, we're, we're, gonna, be, we're gonna be sports. We're gonna pray before every game. I mean, we're, we're gonna be different. And so, and it, thank God for him. And what happened was after a few months, after a few weeks, another guy starts coming and gives his life to Jesus. Another guy begins to go, hey, what's going on? I'm gonna, can I go with you guys? to that Wednesday night youth service. Before long, I've got five or six buddies. We're all going to church together. They're reading their Bibles. God's doing things. And we, I mean, it was like we had a little posse all of a sudden. I mean, one guy by himself isn't good. Two, two though, crazy for a guy becomes possible when you get two or three guys together. And so we had this idea, what if, what if we started a Bible study with our football team? And now, mind you, we didn't even know how to read the Bible. It's like, what are we going to say? I would love to go back and listen to that and go, oh, God, that was terrible, right? And so we, but we did. And I'll never forget, we pack, it starts off, we pack 20, 30 guys, and we're doing this Bible study every Friday before every football game. And so coach gets wind of it, and he says, well, hey, how do you guys feel if I make the whole team come? So we said, Sure. So before long, as a senior, we're, this is something that we're doing that started our junior year. We're leading a Bible study for the entire football team of a 5A school, preaching Jesus every single Friday night. And it all started with, I just don't want to be by myself on a Friday night. Hey, I just want to fit in. Hey, I just want to do what everybody else is doing. We face that every single day. The decision of, gosh, do I want to go along with popular opinion? Or do I want to live a Christ-centered life? The first thing you have to do is expect it. The second thing you have to do is endure it. 1 Corinthians 4.12. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and he begins, to, he begins to lay something out for them. Now, mind you, at this point in time, I mean, I'm talking about persecution, and it's, in a, in a lot of ways, compared to what goes on around the world, it's relatively it's relatively light. And I think a lot of people, if they heard me say this, they would go, you call that persecution. In the church in Corinth, I mean, people were quite literally being killed because of their faith. They were coming up with creative ways to punish people who, who decided that they wanted to follow Christ. And so they're going through this difficult time and Paul, who had started the church in Corinth, begins to write them this letter. And in 1 Corinthians chapter four, he writes a couple verses and this is what he says in verse 12. He said, we work hard with our hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Notice at no point in time in that scripture did Paul ever say, I or you. It was never, hey, this is what you're gonna do or hey, this is what I would do. This goes back to my conversation with Brock at the beginning of the message. When we begin to look at it, and strong family identity always trumps peer pressure. 
Paul is writing to this church, this church and he's saying, hey, I know you're not sure what to do. I know that you may have never faced this before, but let me just tell you what we do. And if you're part of this, if you're part of the we, this is what we do. When we are persecuted, we bless. When we are cursed, when we, when we, are, when we are slandered, we answer kindly. See, persecution that we face, it's relatively light. But not for all of us. Maybe you came to Christ and maybe you got pushback. Maybe your family was like, hey, you're going to go do that. You're going to go do that church thing. You're going to go to church. You're going to go to two services on a Sunday morning. You're going to get there early and set up. I mean, are you sure about that? Wait, your kids are going to go on Wednesday nights. You guys are going to do the kids slide thing on a Sunday night. I mean, don't you think you're taking this a little overboard? You're going to serve on the dream team. What is the dream team? You're going to be in a small group. You're going to study the Bible. Oh, that's what you do now. You study the Bible. See, here's the thing. is that when we honor God, when we decide to use a, live a Christ-centered life, we can expect it. God calls us to endure it. And something happens when we begin to endure persecution. We begin to endure difficulties. I remember when um, I was graduating high school, you know, whenever someone, whenever someone talks about playing sports, have you never noticed that the older you get, the better you were, right? It's like the older I get, the more you talk about it. It's like, in reality, you, you were probably a little overweight and you ran about a 5, 7, 40, but by the time you're 40, 50, 60, I mean, you ran a 4, 3, you were ripped to shreds and college scouts were lined up at your doorstep, right? You know how that works. And so, I'm telling this story not, as, not to do that, but I'll never forget, as I'm graduating high school, one of the things that I had this opportunity to move to Louisiana to do this internship. At the same time, there was a couple different opportunities to play, to play college football. And n nothing really big, but I remember getting letters. Uh, my family was very excited about it. And God begins to open up this opportunity and say, hey, I want you to do this. And I started to feel like that's what God wanted me to do. And I'll, I'll never forget, it wasn't a very popular conversation within the family. And it, it went oftentimes like, man, are you sure? I mean, you've been working really hard to do this. I mean, my grandpa especially, I mean, he, he's an awesome man. I have so much respect for him. But I, I'll never forget what he told me. He was like, man, you're going to go do this. You're going to go work for a church for free? He said, man, you don't know what it's like to move away from home. He said, and look. It's not easy. And he starts telling me this. He, he was in the Navy. He starts telling me this story about leaving home. He said, hey, when you're ready to come home, I'll buy the plane ticket. He said, I give you about three months, and I'll buy the plane ticket. Now, I didn't say anything to him at the time, but I, I remember thinking, I will die in a swamp at the, at the hands of an alligator before I call you for a plane ticket. See, when we go through, when we go through difficulty, when we go through pushback, when we make decisions to honor God and it's not popular, it does something inside of us. It begins to, to grow our roots and our faith much deeper. That regardless of what happens around us, that you know what, the deeper the roots go for a tree, the more difficult it is to blow it over. See, when we endure it, God's doing something inside of us. The first thing is expect it. The second thing is endure it. The third thing is embrace it. Embrace it. You know, we read this scripture 
And when the Bible says, if you're persecuted, great is your reward in heaven. When I look at my 10-year-old and I say, gosh, when you make decisions to do what's right. Hey, when there's the, a bunch of boys in class that get in trouble and they ask who did it. And everybody else says it wasn't me, but you're honest and you admit to it. Hey, guess what? There's a reward. And you may not see it right now, but God sees it. There's a reward in heaven. There's something that happens. How differently we would live if we really believe that. How different we would approach our marriages. How different we would approach our kids. Come on, business people. How different we would approach business deals. How different would we approach life if we said the ultimate goal is not to be liked. It's not to fit in. But God has not saved us to fit in. God has saved us and changed us to stand out. That contrary to popular opinion, there is a reward on the other side of obedience. This is what 1 Peter 4 says. I love this. In 1 Peter 4, Peter writes, he says, dear friends, do not be surprised at this fiery ordeal which has come, come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Just a couple of verses later in verse 16. He says, however, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you get to bear that name that when we suffer and we make decisions to honor God, when we experience pushback and it's not popular, rejoice that you bear that name. That it doesn't matter what everybody says, it only matters what heaven says. You get to bear that name. Every single time that you think about it, every time that a word is spoken against, spoken about you. Every time that you're not invited to something or not chosen to participate, hey, you get to bear that name. Every single time you make a decision that I'm going to honor God in spite of what's popular, you get to bear that name. About four or five years ago, there was a, there was this young guy who, who wandered into the church uh, and it was, a, it was a Sunday morning and he comes up to me after church one day and um, and sometimes you just never know quite what to expect, but young, good looking guy, he was 23 years old and God was starting to do something in his life. A friend had invited him to church, comes up to after church and he begins to unload all the bad things that he had ever done. And so we're standing at the front of church and he's crying and, he, and at that point in time, I, I was a pastor. He says, Pastor Josh, would you pray for me? I said, absolutely. And so we pray and he received Jesus right there. And I said, man, well, I've got this small group going. Why don't you come and get connected into this small group? And so he starts coming to this small group and you ever know those people that it's like everything they do just succeeds? This was Adam. He was one of those guys that had the golden touch. He's 23 years old. He was in oil field cells at the time and he was just killing it. He was outperforming all of his peers, the youngest guy on his team. I mean, the CEOs knew who he was. And so one day he, he comes in and he, he tells me the story. He says, man, I'm, I gotta tell you about what happened. 
He said, listen, we were leaving the office one night. It was, it was last Friday and a couple of the guys uh, were, were, going, were going out and they, they invited me. And, um, and I said, okay, so where, where were they going? And he said, it was, uh, it was of ill repute. I can't remember what the name, Bootylicious Bunny Barn or something like, something crazy. And so he says, he says they invited me to go with them. And, and man, I, I told him no. And they said, well, man, what, what, what's the big deal? Well, why can't you go out? Why can't you go out with us? Like, I mean, what's the, you're not married. He said, I looked at him and I said, honoring my wife doesn't start after I'm married. It starts right now. And they said, well, she's never gonna know. We're never gonna say anything. Just come with us, just have a good time. It's not a big deal. And Adam looks at him. He's only a Christian for a couple months and says, it's not about whether she'll know it. It's about whether I will know it. And so he comes to me and he says, so this is what happened. And I'm, I'm really concerned. I'm really concerned, Josh, what kind of effect this would have on my career. This was his concern. And I'm looking at him and I can't help. My heart is exploding in my chest. And I'm thinking, that's what I'm talking about. That's what living a Christ-centered life looks like when it's, you're in the face of your friends and nobody would ever know, but you would know. And I can't help but imagine what heaven looks like when it, when it was Adam. That God is in heaven in that moment going, that's my boy. That one's one of mine. That one bears my name. I'll put my name on that. That's the type of decisions. That's what heaven looks like when we make those kind, those kind of choices to honor God regardless of what's happening around us. Two things that we can expect. One is persecution. The second one is blessing. You may be in here this morning and you may be going through difficult situations. Maybe it's in a relationship or maybe it's at work or maybe it's in your family, whatever it may be. But the difficulty that you may be going through not, may not be because you're wrong. It may actually be because you're right. There's things that we face and every single time that we expect it, we endure it, we embrace it. God's doing something on the inside of you and me. He's driving our roots deeper. And so this morning as a church family, I just want everyone to close your eyes and I wanna pray for you. You might be in here and you may be going through something and you're going, gosh, I just, this doesn't make sense. It feels like I'm checking every box. With every eye closed, every head bowed, I'm just gonna pray for you right where you're at. But if you go, if you say, Josh, I feel like I'm doing everything right but I'm facing some situations like that. I'm going through some difficult things. I'm feeling like my opinions are contrary to popular belief. With every eye closed and every head bowed, if that's you in here this morning, I'm not gonna embarrass you. I simply wanna pray for you. If you will, if you'll just look up at me and make sure I see your eyes. So many faces, I'm not gonna bother counting them. As a church family this morning, let's just all stand up and let me pray for you today. Father, we just thank you. Lord, we thank you that you are good, you are righteous, and you are holy. And to follow after you, 
Lord, to be able to live a Christ-centered life is something that's only possible because of your sacrifice. And Father, I pray over every individual. Lord, I pray over every single mom, every single dad, every single business person, every single student as they go back to school this week. Father, I ask you this morning that no matter what we face, that your word and what you say about us and the decision to honor you would be the top priority no matter what the arena. Father, as your people leave this morning, I pray that your hand is on them, your favor is on them, that you go before them and you stand behind them. This morning, we thank you today. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives so that you can do what you want through our lives. Be with your people today as they leave. We love you, we thank you, in Jesus' name.